Hey, Jyoti. Hi, Reagan. How are you? Um, I'm really grouchy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's been grouchy. a been a tough week. Yeah. I think. Yeah. It's been Both, a tough. Week I think. Yeah. In the midst of a tough, like, long time. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know tonight yeah. when I was setting up to record and I was thinking about you asking me how I was, I was like, oh man, I just really have to answer that I'm grouchy and I don't want that to be the answer, but it's the honest answer. Um, how are you? I'm okay. I, I want to know, well, I want to talk out your grouchiness because <laughs> I'm I, just feeling meh. Okay. But um, better than I, I have been. <laughs> you, you feel better than you have been. Yeah, uh, I think so. Um, well, I am going to dodge the talking out of my grouchiness for Fair a enough. moment. We can perhaps well, return no. to it. Um, but I'm actually, I'm, I want to f- hear how the eclipse was. <laughs> <laughs> well, the sun is so bright that even in Portland, I mean, it was pretty cool, but we were only... We weren't in the path of totality. We were mm-hmm. like 99 point something percent. Yeah. Yeah. So we there wasn't a point where we could look at it without our weird glasses on. Um, and it was super cool, but it didn't get dark or anything. It just kind of got like a little bit cold and a little bit dim, uh-huh. kind of like dusk. So that was kind of it was that was eerie and kind of cool. Um <laughs> Mabel liked it. Well, she was out there for a little bit, but, um, what are you talking about? Um, but yeah, so we, we didn't get a chance to take off our glasses. And so just viewing it through the glasses means you like everything's blocked out except for like the orange part of the sun. So it just kept looking like little, like at the beginning it was really cool. Cause it was like, you know, like a weird little bite out of it. But then it just kind of looked like you were looking at the moon. I'm not like dissing it or anything. I think it was pretty, <laughs> it was pretty cool. But even like being so close to the path of totality, I, I just, I kind of wish we'd just driven, you know, right the hour. Yeah. But it was, it was kind of like Y2K here in Oregon. Like I didn't go to work. Most people I know didn't go to work or work from home because they're like, oh my God, we're going to be like, the traffic What's and gonna we don't know it's kind of like any threat of snow here in Portland like even if there's like one like not even an inch like even if the snow doesn't stick on the ground it's like okay everyone stay indoors don't drive like just be safe I really like how this podcast is portraying Portland as so delicate like when it was so hot Portland oh my god we're like so classy. delicate so when, delicate and and I totally buy into clip. it Everything needs to shut down. It was. It was eclipse apocalypse, pretty yeah. much. <laughs> apocalypse yeah. eclipse? I don't know. But yeah, it was yeah. It was like we were frantically. So, you know, a lot of people bought glasses well in advance like I did. And I got them off Amazon. But then like, you know, halfway through last week, we got like notice that they might be like they might not be actually safe. Oh, right. So yeah. then all the places with the like legit glasses had sold out. And then like we had, you know, the girls aunt luckily got them like some good ones from her work. But then 
Me and Dan were like, oh, we don't have any. So he got up on Sunday morning early to go to Dutch Brothers Coffee, who was giving, who were giving out free glasses with their, um, with a purchase of a drink. And, um, and the line was around the block, like people had camped out because a lot of people had waited to the last minute or had their glasses recalled. And so he got like the last pair at the one near our house, which was just like after an hour of waiting in line oh for crappy coffee. Yeah. And, and, you know, he'd explain to the people there that, you know, we had some, but they were not 100% certified. And um, they're like, don't worry, dude, it's like totally certified. And then like at 11 p.m. that night, they all the their glasses got recalled as well. No, so no. It was a disaster. So I ended up like we did the test with our glasses off Amazon. Um, you know, they they looked fine. Like they looked way better than the Dutch Brothers ones. And we compared them to the ones that the girls have. And we couldn't see anything through them except for like the filaments of like fluorescent lights. And that's what they say. So, you know, we just use them. So who knows? Maybe all of this, I will go blind. But yeah, I wish I was in the path of totality and kind of kicking myself that I'm so close. But it wasn't. But it was still, it was still pretty good. But it just, it's so funny. Yes, Portland, very delicate, very, (laughs) very scared of everything. And I'm totally um, in that camp now, too. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I can just keep telling you Portland stories to uh, assuage your uh, grumpiness because <laughs> this town is pretty hilarious. And I think, um, you know, I'm not really a big fan of Portlandia, maybe because it's very close <laughs> to home. It's, but, it's a little bit close. <laughs> but yeah, it is, you know, we're, we're oddballs. And yeah. I count myself, as soon as you move here, you just become like a weirdo, oddball, delicate, person <laughs> who's really earnest oh, I about things. I mean I didn't mean to dig quite so hard on Portland. Oh no I totally do. I love it here but I will like part of surviving it is to kind of poke fun at it a little bit because it can get a little overbearing sometimes. Yeah yeah for sure. Um well I'll tell my I'll tell my eclipse story. Mm. It's not I mean I'm down in LA. So we were at around like 69% Okay. Uh, which didn't do much. It did change the temperature a little bit, but I had seen, we did not, nobody got glasses in my household until the night before the eclipse or maybe the day before the night before the eclipse. And my mom tried to order some on Amazon, but they were all sold out. And and then my dad was like, well, how will we see it? And I was like, well, I, we just might not, you know, <laughs> like that just might not happen. Uh, and then my dad today didn't mention it. And um, he's, uh, you know, he's like borderline has some cognitive decline. No, he definitely does. I don't want to say borderline, but um, I didn't want to bring it up to him because I was worried that he might feel disappointed that we don't have a proper means of observing it uh and my mom was out of the house with my nephew at his swimming lesson and so I knew what time it was starting and I'd seen on some sort of posting about what to do if you don't have the glasses because you didn't buy them and the one that I liked the best was just going outside and taking a colander 
and oh, yeah. using the shadow of the colander um, because of all the tiny like circular holes. Um, so I, I, right when the eclipse was starting, I like went outside with my colander and I set it on the ground and nothing was happening. <laughs> and I kept going out like every 10 minutes to see if anything would happen and it just wasn't doing it. Aww. And uh, so it was pretty uh, silly. And then I realized that it might just be that down by the ground, the light was um, like not like quite bending. Um, so I picked the colander up and then I held it up a bit higher and then you could see the um, crescent uh, shadows or the mm. crescent shape. And um, I was really proud that I figured out the physics to make the colander work. <laughs> uh, and I just stood outside by myself holding this colander out and um so there were about clusters of maybe 10 holes at various points all crescenting and um it was actually quite sort of beautiful in this very sad way <laughs> i mean it wasn't i wasn't totally sad but i there was a way that i could see the pitifulness of standing outside alone with my colander <laughs> Well, admit it, Reagan. You would be able to see like the sort of sad beauty in everything. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Was I've... it you that I was talking to, like about how like old men with dogs like make me really, really sad when I it see it? It might them? have been me. I the hardest one for me is old men at the grocery store. Oh, yep. That yeah, real I think I remember speaking with Holly about this because there's that. I think he's either Australian or New Zealand. Um, cartoon is called Lunig. And he always sort of draws those poignant, sad, but um, cartoons. And, um, yeah, it's always like someone like holding a balloon in the middle of an empty field or something. Yep. <laughs> but, yeah, like old men like walking their dogs, like kind of shuffling, yeah. like sad alone. Reagan holding her colander by herself. But at, at the same time, like it's just like why do we think that these, these very – um personal sort of singular experiences that are super beautiful just because we're experiencing them alone like there's some kind of like sadness in pathos it. yeah yeah and i i didn't feel sad at the time like like my meta awareness was like maybe this is sad but like in the in the moment i did kind of just feel a sort of calm awe at it, mm, mm-hmm. you know, and I was aware that something very cosmically significant was happening and that almost everyone on my continent mm-hmm. was oriented around that moment. It's and, so crazy how yeah. it was just over the United States, by the way, yeah. just yeah. like that blows my mind. <laughs> at this particular moment yes. <laughs> in time. Yes. Um, so I did in the moment I was like, I'm glad, I'm glad I did it. I'm glad I didn't just sit, because I had turned the news on, just in case I didn't figure out the shadow situation, just to, <laughs> you know, see some images in real time. And uh, the people on the news, all of the newscasters, I was finding them very irritating. Um, so I was pleased that I left them. <laughs> and me and my colander had a moment with the moon moving over the sun. I also saw the way that all the shadows in the tree from mm-hmm. the tree became crescent shaped, mm-hmm. which was pretty special. Um, yeah, 
So that was my my time with the eclipse. Um, that was the one thing I missed actually was because we were sort of sitting right on these like basketball courts in our apartment, so there's no trees around it, but it was directly facing east. But then, of course, I was looking on like Instagram later because you know that's proof that something really cool happened. Yeah. And <laughs> a lot of people had posted those shadows, uh, and I was like, damn it! Like I should have looked for that because so many people were like this was the best thing about the eclipse here in Portland because we didn't get totality with these cool shadows at the trees and everything made. And I was like, that does look cool. I love stuff like that. And I missed it, but you know, whatever. I'm just like, (laughs) it's it's that weird thing where it's something so cosmic and huge. And that as humans, we're just like really needing that kind of divine proof and just falling short a little bit, you know, maybe to our expectations or, yeah. you know, I did read that people in the path of totality who were pretty skeptical were like, holy shit, that was the most amazing, beautiful spiritual experience of my life. So yeah, well, good for them. Yeah. But like, <laughs> yeah. you know, I think for me, there was that like awe and sadness at the same time, because mm-hmm. it's like, this is really cool, but it's really fleeting. And it like, I don't like you know, I'm insignificant. And what does this mean? And, you know, I had these like jars of water out there to like charge. And I know my yeah. friends had some crystals out there to charge under this thing. And I'm like, what does that even mean? What does that even do? And just very, I mean, very existential. That These things are very existential. And um, so, yeah, it just leaves an odd sort of like there's this collective existentialism in, in such a divided nation and like what yeah you know how can i mean in a nation that's trying like with a leader that's denying like science and facts and just yeah it was just very emotional in that way for me yeah (laughs) which is not necessarily um, a good thing (laughs) did you i do wanna i actually think i really wanna um get to this particular cultural moment because it feels very important. Yes. Uh, but I also want to ask, did you see the pictures of our president, my president? I don't know if you feel that you, he is yours. <laughs> you, you get to sit on the borderland, <laughs> like not quite. Well, I'm about to get my citizenship, like, oh, I'm about to be interviewed for yeah. citizenship. So, you know, yeah. So welcome <laughs> yeah. to the United States of America. Uh, so there's a picture of that guy looking up at the eclipse with no <laughs> eclipse glasses on. Yeah. Which just feels like the truest demonstration of what the hell like right he is. Right. And I don't I mean actually the truest demonstration is the bullshit that he spoke this week and has spoken mm-hmm. since he has come to the um into uh popular culture and his election. But uh there's something so... Oh, it's so symbolic. Yeah, of just the fact that everyone was like, so, the main thing that you don't want to do... one thing that any That might thing. really cause a detriment. <laughs> you don't want to do it. And he's like, nah, forget it. You know, but you know, the sad thing about that is, is that maybe because he only did it really briefly and he won't, you know, might not suffer like any kind of permanent da- damage. That's when like people who support him like because I just read that poll about how 60% of Trump voters said that there's nothing nothing he can do that would stop them from like supporting him which is 
you know, obviously not because even through the election, he was saying the most just it was just incomprehensible. But that if he doesn't, you know, have any blindness or vision issues, they're going to be like, see, liberal media just likes to scare us into like, thinking. Yeah, man, then uh, all y'all, it's eight years is when the next total eclipse is coming to at least some part of the United States. Mm-hmm. So they can just all gather there. Exactly. And stare at the sun together. <laughs> I invite them. Yeah. I mean, I don't. I don't want anybody's eyes to burn. <laughs> Like, even when I said that sarcastically, I was just like, no, I don't want that to happen to anyone. It seems so painful and sad. Uh, but symbolically, everybody just, if you really want to use that as proof that the scientists and the liberal media are uh, deceiving you, um, I don't know what to do with that degree of, like, illiteracy. Right. Um, but yeah, which is a perfect segue into just the state of our nation which I you know I said my mood was better than it has been I think it's because witnessing the eclipse today and just knowing that you know everyone across the United States was doing something together (laughs) in a way that sort of showed that as human beings we're not the center of the universe um but yeah like this past week I've been just awful I haven't felt this bad since the day after the election and just have been like scared and um not wanting to like leave the house just super um you know anytime I like sometimes if I see like just like a white guy or something like I just I'm like oh my god like because those guys I mean they looked awful and angry and you know, insane in that picture of them with the tiki torches, but um, but they also look so freaking normal and just like young guys, yeah, and yeah. like every freaking guy in Portland, you know, with like you know weird stupid stupid hip hipster mustaches and like just I don't know, just it was really really scary. And it, but it's interesting because I asked my fiance who who is a white guy um and like how you know what how is he not like that (laughs) right right like how like you know he grew up in rural Oregon like not in a city you know um I guess his his sister and his stepdad are um Mexican but um so maybe there was like a little bit of diversity in his household growing up. But, you know, he his answer like both like saddened me but made me happy. It was like he was like, I think it was Sesame Street. Like I honestly mm. think that, you know, I had I watched Sesame Street and, you know, every like diversity was like celebrated and, you know, people's differences were like like equalizing. Like and I was like, yeah, I guess like. Yeah, so maybe these Sesame poor is so boys just didn't watch Sesame Street. Because I just, I'm like, not only how can, like, a white person not be like that, but how can these guys, like, really say those? Like, even, like, badmouth that woman who had died. You know, yes, she, she wasn't yeah. black, but she didn't have kids. So they had to badmouth her about that. And it's just like, are you, like, how is that even real? Like, how? I just, I can't, I cannot fathom it. And it just made me really scared. Yeah, it's the, um, 
the depth of that kind of hatred and disdain, right? That Mm -hmm. is it's like I can't find how it's so big and weird that I'm like, I can't even find like the shape of it. Like if I try and imagine it I'm just like, I don't know. Or or that, I mean, I, I think there's a um Uh, like, I think there's a danger or a limitation to uh, people's call for empathy in times like this, right? So I want to, like, that's my preface. But even if I want to, like, do the, like, thought experiment or the, like, experiential experiment of trying to, like, imagine in my body what it would be like to so vehemently and ardently be so hateful. Mm -hmm. Like, I just, like, can't actually do it. And it's not, I don't mean, like, I'm grouchy. Like, I'm in a bad mood. And, like, (laughs) I feel very upset about a lot of things and a lot of, like, things that are small and things that are big. So there's not, I'm not sort of, like, in a state, I'm not, like, so pure that I can't find uncomfortable emotions in my body (laughs) like those are there but like just the that like that density of hatred Mm -hmm. is is like really hard for me to imagine like even even fear right like I I'm not being racist by saying that sometimes when I see a white guy that reminds me of who looks like guys in that picture like that I don't sort of get triggered and think wow I wonder if they hold those beliefs I'm not saying that like I'm not you know I'm experiencing fear but I'm not thinking like the answer to that then is like well we should get rid of all white men off the center of the face of the earth because then I won't be scared anymore but it's it's like their belief is like they're afraid of whatever like you know losing some kind of cultural identity which is problematic in itself because you know white is not a ethnicity it's a skin color it's a skin tone yeah and it's also like an artifact right like whiteness is like a something that was intentionally created as like an obliterating identity right right and if they did their dna and they were like from scandinavia or you know the majority of their dna was from you know, Germany or somewhere, then there's plenty of cultural heritage and pride around that. But this idea, yeah, of like white, whiteness, it's, it's completely, it's a myth. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, um, it's, um, it's interesting. I had a, a conversation with someone who, his attitude about counter protest to these uh, rallies and these sort of uh, white nationalist neo-Nazi rallies and his his position is that counter protesters shouldn't show up 
Mm. And that it would be more powerful if they were there by themselves and revealed to be sort of small. And, mm-hmm. um, and that the, the white nationalists and neo-Nazis and the KKK want a fight. And so uh, this person's opinion was that like the Antifa is giving them what they want by showing up. Mm. Um, I don't hold that belief. I don't share. I understand it. I'm not without uh, a recognizing that a multiplicity of strategies is important. And I'm not without belief that maybe under some circumstances, that strategy is the right one. Uh, But I don't share with him the same idea that the counter protesters are somehow provoking the violence by showing up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we, it was, it, we were talking about it and I was in kind of a, I was in a sensitive state. And so, and he's really like vehement in his beliefs. And I was like, look, like I hear you. We got to stop talking about it. Cause I like, I'm not in the mode where I can articulate my countering to your beliefs. Mm-hmm. I was just like tired and various things. So we didn't, we didn't go into it deeper, but, um, that in particular, uh, felt, I felt that that conversation and that my thoughts around that, that I have spent more time with, uh, kind of overlap with, uh, this, uh, the fact that we chose warrior pose mm-hmm. to talk about. And so I've been reflecting a lot on, uh, what that pose is and what being a warrior is and this sort of um, really casual way that people practice yoga every day and do warrior poses and don't really think about or acknowledge those poses as poses of warriors. It's funny that this the term that a lot of the alt-right use or people, you know, maybe you can say that you're a Trump supporter without being a Nazi. Yeah, I don't think you can say that you're not a racist, but maybe you're not like, you know, empathetic to, to Nazi Germany. But, you know, I, I think Trump pretty much proved that, you know, he is a racist um the 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 term like that you see on like comment boards or whatever is sjw which is um a derogatory term for leftists um calling them social justice warriors Mm -hmm. um but it's like how is that a derogatory term but like abbreviated as SJW, it's like supposedly like the big the big old insult along with like right. snowflake. Right. Um, but uh, I was just thinking social justice word. There's not a bad word in there. They're all really positive words. And and maybe I'm missing a context where it came from. You know, like did it like a pop culture reference or something? I don't know. But I'm always like social justice like even though terms are social justice like so you're against so the opposite would be like anti-social injustice <laughs> right coward like <laughs> and it's it's like the term warrior in so many ways is 
is one of those terms now that get is a buzzword too, like the word guru or the word like, I don't know, like I'm thinking like maven, like all those terms, like marketing right. terms that people right. use to, or ninja, ninja is the one like, oh yeah, I'm a, I'm an internet ninja or I'm a, I'm a, I'm a golfing ninja. And it's just like, well, no, but like even the term warrior has like lost any kind of, um, meaning. And it's interesting because also warrior in a different way can, you know, like traditionally has been used to denote like caste systems or tribalism or like, and so, you know, what, how can, I mean, it's, it's a word, of course it's a word, but what is that state of mind, you know, that, that the actual pose and the meaning behind the pose and the ancient tradition of, of doing that sequence. It's because we chose warrior too, but, um, you know, in a lot of my readings on it, it people are always like, people kind of like gloss over some of the more, you know, like peaceful warrior or something is like a transitory pose. But this whole sequence is like this display of like strength and movement and, um, you know, the different aspects of what it takes to be a warrior. Yeah. And I, like, I was thinking a lot about the way that, um, like the U S like the, the way that the U S conceives of its military, like the mythos of the military and which, I mean, I don't know that we frequently call the people who are in the military warriors. I think maybe that it's less common to call them warriors, but um, that is, I mean, in the sense of like the like status of our culture and like, you know, the people who would be the fighters, right? Mm -hmm. Who, it's been, it's become so distorted I think as like an empire and a, a sort of imperialist force that we've we've made being a warrior something very macho mm-hmm. and like this combination of like subservience and glory you know like mm-hmm. so built into our military system is is a, a subservience to your um, superiors and that there's somehow some glory in, in the wars that we fight. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when people return home, they are many times very wounded and traumatized. And we, we try really hard as a culture. I don't mean me, we, you and I, but like the United States keeps that effect of war really under wraps. Mm -hmm. Um, It does, I mean, I think it's more on the surface now than it has been in the past, but um, I mean, veterans are still underserved and their woundedness is not given the care that Mm -hmm. um, it deserves, um, especially for the way that we portray, you know, on ads for the military, it's like, glory and honor and service and then the people who sign up for that 
or choose that or, you know, are economically coerced into that, when they participate in that and they come back, they're then, um, like, denigrated, I think, okay. in certain ways if they are wounded. So woundedness gets sort of corralled into, like, the weakness category and we don't want that to be part of our warriors. Um, and I'm not, I am not in the military and I'm not in a military family. So I feel a little bit like I can't speak to all of it. It's just sort of like a broad strokes mm -hmm. reading on, on the culture of that or the way that it's portrayed to civilians. Um, but as you know, I think on like an individual level, like spending time in warrior poses, considering like what that word actually means or what that identity might mean mm -hmm. in a way that is maybe distinct from the macro cultural narrative of our warriors um, is of value. I mean, I remember in particular I think it was in Virabhadrasana too. One time in class, Tony was just like, everybody get out. He's like, it's get out. And he like made us all get out of the pose. And he was like, it's a warrior pose. He's like, you guys aren't doing it. He's like, yeah, you're doing the shape. Like whatever you might look like you're doing warrior pose to yourself or you might think you're positioning yourself. He's like, but you're, you're not doing it with that sensibility. Hmm. of a warrior like you're not embodying warrior you're just putting yourself into a shape mm -hmm. um and you know i mean for the, the the example he gave which i i think is really funny but and i also i'm not sure if i would test it under these circumstances but he was like look if you were walking home late at night and someone was following you and you felt kind of spooked it was like, imagine if you turned around and got into warrior pose and like <laughs> meant it, you know? And it was like, they probably wouldn't fuck with you. <laughs> you know, and I, I think about that a lot, like mm. about, you know, first of all, it would just be so surprising and weird that it might, it might startle somebody out of whatever their nefarious intention might be if they had it. Um, and also just that idea of like turning to face the thing that is scaring you, mm, like mm -hmm. facing it like down your arm and like standing strong and like looking at it. Um, and also just really like the statistics about like how people who fight back have a higher chance of getting away, mm -hmm. you know, and that's on like individual attacks. And it's also like, you know, I think it works on a larger scale as well. Like if you're willing to like, fight to defend what you love, you might have a better chance of protecting that thing when it's under threat. I also do literally think like about turning around and looking at somebody like right in Warrior 2 and just seeing what happens. You, <laughs> you should know? just do that like in the middle of the day, like you just, you know, yeah. walking down the walking street. Walking in the suburbs. <laughs> just like stop and do our air. Yeah. <laughs> That's an interesting notion because I think that so many times when I do a yoga class, I'm always wanting that like release from stress and I want to be like this serene yoga goddess doing these like, you know, having that Mona Lisa smile on my face while I go through all these poses and not really, 
it, it, it's almost like I mean Warrior too can sometimes be really hard especially if you're holding it for a long time like yeah. and your thighs and your core aren't strong like me but um but it's not like a the same kind of balancing pose or like your handstand or anything so it's like you can't really show off in it but like having that inner fierceness or just like feeling that sense of being a warrior I want to try that for sure next time I next time I do that pose and just see you know and then you know if there's people say like reverse warrior or like peaceful warrior like I I always love that term peaceful warrior um and I think like I think this again like that sequence the whole different warrior sequence is at least in my experience like not really done as a sequence they're just like a series of different shapes like you were saying and and there isn't that kind of philosophy around around that and that would be cool to do like a warrior focused well not really because my legs always hurt but it would be kind of cool to do a warrior focused like sequence like over and over and almost like you're doing like a karate or martial art kind of practice I remember doing when I did um Wing Chun Kung Fu there was like a series of steps that you did like different sort of poses that you would get into to warm up and that was and that was cool but another thing I've been struggling with this week though is like because I I, you know it's been a couple weeks since we've recorded so you know this last week has just been awful and I felt so like just crappy and like Tina Fey just wanting to eat sheet cake (laughs) and stay home. But, um, the week before I was doing classes, but then this week when I wasn't, I was like, what's the point? Like I should be out on the front lines or whatever, showing up to protests or, you know, doing some kind of like civic duty then, um, you know, just sort of being in my little Portland bubble and going to my little yoga studio and just breathing all the whatever away. And I was like, is yoga selfish? Is like this pursuit of mine, like trying to reconnect with yoga and to find, you know, some kind of connection to my dad and my culture like that I've never, don't even know anything about. Um, is that like, super selfish and why would I bother doing that you know and so that's something I've been grappling with and so I don't know like you know you were saying before like you know people are doing these classes and just really doing this pose and not really understanding it and just making a shape but I mean what is there beyond just an individual person in a yoga class like how does yoga reverberate on a wider level or is it just really like a selfish practice right I um, I think it's a the word uh, selfish. I wonder if that's maybe like I I wonder if like I wonder if that's the problem with the question. But I don't. But I guess yeah. Because, I know what you mean. <laughs> yeah, like um, because I I do think like yoga is a practice of the self, like of one's relationship to their self. Mm -hmm. Uh, Self is a tricky concept when you get deeper into 
um, I think many spiritual traditions. Um, cause you know, there's sects of Buddhism that are like, Hey, when you get down to it, there's like actually no self. Mm-hmm. Right. And then there's maybe threads of yoga that are like, Oh, like, yeah, you have a self, but yourself is like interconnected with everything. Mm-hmm. So when you are, when you get to that state of self-awareness, your selfhood includes the infinite, mm. um, which I mean, I don't know. I, I get a little bit like when people talk about that in yoga classes, it feels a little bit to me like lip servicey, mm. right? But I mean, I, if I spend time for just a second thinking about like being connected to the infinite, that's like really overwhelming. Mm. Like it's lovely. And I've had times or moments, I don't want to say definitively I have felt connected to the infinite because that seems enormous (laughs) but I have felt times when I have experienced that like my selfhood it is interconnected maybe with like a few rungs out beyond Mm -hmm. my like body trap right Mm -hmm. like where I'm like connected to place or I'm connected to people I'm connected to like the entities of like life around me Mm. in ways where I'm like, okay, I kind of get what that is suggesting, right? That like the suggestion of the fact that if I were like connected, if I were to like achieve yoga, (laughs) so (laughs) to speak, that like my selfhood isn't isolated to just like my life story or my personality or my body mm-hmm. even. Um, but I do think it's like at its like center, like the practice does say like, Hey, really you got to master yourself. Like this is what it's about mm-hmm. is the mastering of self. And then um, I, I, I was remembering when we we kind of touched on this the other day in text, um, the eight limbs of yoga, which uh, yoga is an octopus. (laughs) (laughs) I love octopus. I love them too. (laughs) So in the Yoga Sutra, which is, I didn't look this up, but I'm going to say pretty definitively the like origin text of yoga, which is not to say the lineage starts there, but Patanjali was the first person who like wrote it all down hmm. and made it into a text. And that's like the guidebook for how you how you yoga. What's it called? Uh, it's called the Yoga Sutra. Okay. Um and the um the translation that Tony really liked Um, I feel this is really important because I don't remember the woman's name, but her subtitle is The Discipline of Freedom. Mm. And I think that those two words together are really significant when it comes to yoga. The, like, braiding of the fact that, like, a discipline of selfhood is where one finds, like, liberation. Um... And so these eight limbs, so we in the West have like really glommed on to asana Mm -hmm. as yoga, but that's one of the eight limbs is asana. It's the third limb. Uh, 
and I I was re-researching this. I don't have my copy of the Yoga Sutra on me, um, or I don't know where in what box it's in. Uh, uh, but I get this sense that in some ways the the limbs are like in order. Like there's like one, two, three, four, like in a sequence, hmm. and that in some way um, they lead to each other, but also that they weave through each other. So it's not like you gotta master one before you go to two, but there is a deliberate order to them. And what I found interesting about this that I'd never noticed before is that the first limb is called the yamas. And mm. these are all about one's relationship to their society. And so they're, they're ethical, they're behavioral, they're about how like the self conducts itself in relationship to others. And that seemed really important with regard to this question of like, whether or not yoga is selfish. Mm. Um, it's, it's like a bit of a paradox because I think in some way the, the like foundational idea is you got to get right with your society. I'll, I'll, I'll name them and it'll make a bit more sense. <laughs> but uh, the, the idea is sort of like it's bad for you if you don't do these for others. So it's still sort of at the center is the self. Mm. Right? It's not a selflessness. Mm -hmm. um, it's not a, like, act of charity, or it's not a, like, giving oneself over in service to others type of practice. Um, so the first of the yamas is ahimsa, which is nonviolence or non-harming. Uh, and so that, you know, and you can go real... There's, there's, you know, quotes about how if you can, like, master ahimsa, then, like, you figured out yoga, basically. <laughs> like, you don't need to, even though it's the first one of the first yamas, like, if you can get that one down, like, for real, then you're good. Uh, and um, the other, so the others are satya, which is truthfulness, um, asteya, which is non-stealing, um, which also gets translated to, like, not taking more than yours or what you need mm -hmm. um and then there's uh i can't read my own writing <laughs> uh, Bra uh brahmacharya which is this got translated to continents um we'll just gloss over that for now <laughs> i'm not sure and then the next the last one of the yamas is aprigara which is um non-covetousness so that's like not desiring of things that you don't have already. Okay. Um, you know, and especially I think with regard, it's like not envying the person next to you for their hamstrings, right? <laughs> you know, or whatever. I mean, but also like not, I mean, I, I don't know if we talked about this on the podcast before or not, but that I rewatched Mad Men and that I was just envious of everyone because they had jobs. <laughs> Yeah. And I was like, I don't think that was the lesson of Mad Men. <laughs> I don't think that's what they were trying to tell me. But I just was like, man, yeah, I get that it's hard, but, like, they have jobs. <laughs> it's like, 
you know, just jealous of people who have a job because I don't have a job right now. Uh, <laughs> so, so I, thanks to Google and my phone, yeah. it, I was looking like up that Brahmacharya. Yeah. And it looks like it's kind of like it says continence, but it's also kind of like a moderation, like a balance. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so I think it's interesting that, like, yoga starts there. Yeah. Right? Uh, and that's not where most people in the West start. Right. With yoga. Um, so there's more, there's all the other limbs, but I have a tangent <laughs> for a second, <laughs> which I think I already went on one, but I'm going to go on another one. Because <laughs> um, the other thing that I think about this question of, like, not just, say, for you and this pursuit of yoga, but in terms of anything we might be doing at any moment when our society is in a crisis, right? Mm -hmm. So it can feel like at any moment you should be doing something else. Right? Like punching mm -hmm. a Nazi or like writing a letter <laughs> to your senator or mm -hmm. making phone calls or I don't, you know, like stocking up for the like apocalypse. Like, you know, um, I did get a Costco membership. So yeah, maybe subconsciously <laughs> I was uh, doing that. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, I think that that can get um, that can get self defeating in yeah. a lot of ways. Um, I don't think spending time practicing yoga is antithetical to participating in the revolution right mm -hmm. i also don't think spending an hour on your mat in class is inherently revolutionary mm -hmm. either i think that there are some people who want to believe that um about yoga uh i feel that you can't say it's inherently that, right? Mm -hmm. um, but it can be like it can be a way of bolstering your strength, right? Yeah. Like literally, it can be respite from the crisis. That is not. I think everybody needs that. I, I don't think it's in the service of anyone to think that you don't need. A break sometimes mm -hmm. from it um it can be with this like model of self-awareness like it can be a way to get to know one's own position mm. in in relationship to the crisis at hand right um like for me in that conversation with my friend and in, in thinking about it and in thinking about warrior pose and etc i was like oh yeah i i think it's fine to show up and fight back actually like i think it's important it's not necessarily what i'm gonna do because i'm already really injured and i currently am trying to care enough about myself that i'm trying not to re-injure myself mm -hmm. um but i am a believer that we have <laughs> We have been for a long time in a cultural moment 
um, which is continuing to sort of erupt, where I believe it's important for people to feel free to defend what they love and who they are. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure that I would know that with such clarity if I didn't have my practice. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? I'm not like, my opinion about things is the best (laughs) and the rightest. I just mean I know myself well enough that I can say and articulate that and I don't feel swayed by like a very fervent friend like in his opinion about it or whatever (laughs) or like you know whoever on whichever news program my parents are running right Mm -hmm. like I know myself well enough and I've cultivated that self-knowledge with yoga among other things right it's not the only thing but it's part of it Um, yeah come to think of it like I part of one of the one of the things I inherited I guess from my dad being a a yoga teacher and from India and having a lot of like very eccentric people around him um very alternative kind of to the mainstream viewpoints um was the idea of like a spiritual evolution of of people and Mm -hmm. so you know part of the symbolism of you know, the entire United States, you know, being in the path of the eclipse to me, I'm, and it could just be like total wishful thinking. Um, But I like to think that there's like symbolism in there somehow and that Mm -hmm. it's kind of the universe has its thing and we're like little, we can plug into it or not, you know, kind of going back to that, we're all connected and to the infinite, even if we're, individual selves um constrained by like a body and different things like that but um is you know part of what my dad wanted to do as a teacher from India and his monastery they wanted to spread the teaching of yoga across the world um you know for that reason of like spiritual awareness and evolution of consciousness um and you know whether it's like buddhists or any of those like eastern religions where there's reincarnation and in each incarnation you kind of learn some spiritual lessons the idea that um through the discipline of yoga in in all its little tentacles (laughs) little Mm -hmm. octopus tentacles um you know maybe for a lot of people in in the west especially that is their first entry into it within like their lifetime on like that particular lifetime and then it um will you know that's sort of the beginning of their personal self spiritual um evolution yeah um and I know that all sounds like super kooky like this one hand like I'm always like oh that's so super kooky and but then on the other hand I'm always like yeah like that kind of makes that just totally makes sense like in terms of um like you know because 
was talking to a friend about this podcast actually and she you know and I said you know it's it's interesting because I'm approaching it I'm I'm a, a yoga novice even if my dad taught yoga I was around it but I don't know a lot of this was shielded from me from by my mom when they separated as well was the more spiritual aspects of it because she became a Christian and didn't want me reading about these kooky things um so I, I don't really know much more about the, these different branches of yoga, but I've always kind of had like a, a sense of like reincarnation and like spiritual sort of, you know, purpose and that each life reincarnated life, like there's lessons and things that you teach and always kind of had like been drawn to it but then as soon as I start talking about it, I'm like holy crap I sound like a kook but <laughs> but um you know I was also sort of thinking about the oh and when I was talking to my friend about this podcast she was saying that that was interesting my approach as a novice yoga person but like wanting to know more about my Indian heritage and I don't think I offended her a lot but she's definitely like she's definitely one of those women who I mean she would do way more yoga than I have ever done in my life she like brings her own like recyclable containers when we go out for lunch uh, on our lunch breaks because you know the earth and stuff like she's super conscious and green and and if you were to lump her in a room with other women like her in Portland, like it's that stereotype of the, you know, this liberal white lady. But I, I don't want to bring race into it in that way because, you know, if you're talking about a spiritual practice, yes, it might have began in India. <laughs> but and, and to me, there is this like feeling of, well, I'm part Indian, so I want some kind of connection to that, you know, and with my dad and. But, and Western culture is relatively new to yoga. Well, Western culture is just re relatively new in the sense of, you know, being forged by colonialism and <laughs> invasion and then immigration. Um, and so it, it's kind of like I, I can't be protective of that and it should be something that's global and globalized and especially when I'm wanting to defend like an America that was built on immigration or I'm wanting to defend like diversity and you know the acceptance of you know whoever you are wherever you are wherever you came from um it's just it, that is just something that I they grapple with and I I think about in terms of you know m my own personal spiritual path and lessons but then also trying to not be as like annoyed by um what can sometimes maybe be seen as appropriation when it is taking the kind of like surface aspects of yoga only but who, how am I to even know what that person's individual sort of you know the per that studio it might seem super like only focused on like fitness and nothing else and nothing spiritual but how do I know like who how do I know what kind of spiritual awakening is happening within an individual yeah I mean I think it's it's difficult to parse the distinction between being able to have a 
like critique of commodification, say, mm -hmm. or a critique of appropriation, or a critique of capitalism, right? <laughs> like, there's like capitalism influence on everything. Uh, and how to like delineate those critiques in such a way that doesn't like compromise or sort of encroach on the fact that yo the the experience of yoga is internal, mm -hmm. right? And so it it inherently says like you don't know what's going on in the body next to you in a certain way, right? Mm -hmm. uh, or until you know yourself really, 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 really well, it's none of your business what the person next to you mm -hmm. is experiencing in a certain way. I don't think it's as cut and dried as that, but there's a certain, there's a certain way that the, pra the practice itself says, look inward. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that's like a different mode than cultural criticism. Right. Right. Like, uh, I mean, sometimes you can turn cultural criticism on on yourself, uh, which is a way that that can overlap. But um, it, like, it sounds to me that like you're not trying to claim some sort of like exceptional exclusive yoga that is like only belongs to India <laughs> right <laughs> I mean I don't that's it just doesn't sound like that's what you're trying to no. do by connecting yourself to the practice or connecting the fact that yoga is from a place that your lineage is from mm -hmm. and so it's not that you're saying I mean you're doing this podcast with a white girl from the suburbs. <laughs> who, <laughs> yeah. who knows way more about yoga than I think I ever will. <laughs> you know, and you're not like, uh, you're not coming from a place of attacking that. Right. Right. And you're not right. coming from a place of saying that, like, I shouldn't be practicing right. yoga. Right. Um, and I think some of like what we are trying to do with this podcast is to like sort of like I'm sort of thinking about the way that like the breath works where I'm like oh if you like just kind of like breathe some more room around what yoga is and what mm. it can be for people that's not like pushing anybody out to the margin and saying you don't, you're not welcome to my to my yoga balloon that I just blew. <laughs> I don't quite know what like my metaphor is. <laughs> We're back to like the standing alone in a field of the balloon. Oh, with the balloon. My, <laughs> like, yoga balloon. my yoga balloon. <laughs> Why isn't that the name of our podcast? <laughs> it's the subheading. That'll be the title of this episode. My okay. Yoga balloon. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Uh it's it's like sort of making more room, right? And and I think that's the, the sensibility of that you're coming at it with is not to like snatch it back from mm -hmm. other people, you know, um, which wouldn't necessarily be, I don't know, inappropriate. I don't think 
and I don't feel that I can speak on behalf of the yoga lineage, <laughs> right? I do not feel that way. But I don't, I, I, from my perspective, yoga itself is not a snatch it back kind of practice. <laughs> right. You know? Um, so, yeah. And then I think because it is like a, a spiritual, even if it's individual and it's, it's a spiritual path, it's, it can't belong to a place. It could have been born and, and it's something I've been thinking about with this whole idea of this, you know, what white nationalists claim that they're fighting for, which is like a white homeland and like a white, you know, nation, whatever, 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 you know, but it's, and so I got thinking about like, any claim to any ty- type of place-based culture. Like, I mean, I'm ha- I'm just as much, you know, whatever my mom is, like English, Welsh, something or other German, maybe, I don't know. Like, she doesn't know her, see, she doesn't know her heritage. And I think that's mm. the shame in, well, I think she does in a sense, but I think, you know, like it's very when you're I read this article that was like, well, when you're definitely because they're like, well, isn't like black pride the same as white pride? And it's kind of like, well, when you're displaced from, you know, your country as a slave, like some of these people, their histories are erased, like they don't know where they come yeah. from, um, what part of Africa. So it's like, well, I have to create a culture. And it's like, well, do 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 white people or you know get to do that too or do I get to say oh Indian culture is mine because my dad happened to be born there like I don't want to sort of play into that idea that there there is some kind of ownership over culture just because of you know (laughs) who your mom and dad were and who their moms and dads were it's and so but there is this pull for me to understand more about India and I think you know because I saw in my dad like a lot of the effects of colonialism like he was born around the time of america uh, america's india's independence Mm -hmm. and um so there's just that ramification of that but but like i don't know so much of culture is for better or worse because of like exploration and trade like good things like that but then also like genocide and uh colonialism and you know um you know just wiping out of native populations that our culture is completely kind of mixed and all over the place and but maybe that's okay and maybe that's okay because now we can sort of share in hopefully the best things about you know, we can learn from different ways of certain groups of people who happen to look a certain way because of the climate of the country that they were in for thousands of years. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a good thing, I think, that it's spread to more people. And especially if you look at reincarnation and things like that, if you're looking at, like, spiritual evolution you know, it's not like you're just going to keep getting reborn in India. I mean, I know there's a lot of people there, but, (laughs) you know, there's lots of different sort of forms to get reborn into if you're going to go sort of that route. And (laughs) this reminds me, okay, this is completely ridiculous. So bear with me, bear with me. I'm I'm sorry, but like, 
I don't know where it came from or where it was sourced from or whatever. And it's really freaking ridiculous and horrible and offensive probably in some ways. But it got me thinking sort of about this same thing years ago, years ago. And it was a stupid white douchebag asshole that said it to me. So whatever. (laughs) He said it. Yeah. But so he was talking about how because he was, you know, very drawn to Buddhism in a douchey way. No, I don't know. I don't know. No judgments. He was a douchebag, but maybe he really like was drawn to Buddhism. And he was talking about how in the Buddhist sort of mindset of reincarnation and all of that. That, oh my god I'm so embarrassed to even say this but it's just to put it out there as a thought was that the reason why so many American white males liked dating Asian women was because of their like spiritual connection like there was like a movement in the reincarnation world where <laughs> I just pictured like a like train station <laughs> a train station of little monks are like you yeah. go here little boy yeah. <laughs> you, um, you go here little boy. like to spread awareness amongst different cultures there was this like agenda from the masters of the reincarnation universe to reincarnate souls they just in, handed in like this a bunch of tickets to like all the ticket boys. to america <laughs> ticket to america and maybe australia like all the all the dudes who who's for some reason you know but yeah really we know it is mostly because of fetish fetishization and whatever but just like he was explaining why white dudes like dating asian girls. oh my god i like that he pulled some sort of like He's got, like, a main line to the, like, reincarnation gods. Yeah. He's like, oh, well, of I'm course. Gonna... Like, of course yeah. he does. But... Right, because also the one who would have that telephone line is some white boy. Oh, of course. <laughs> it's total, like, as I was thinking about it. But, yeah. but And I don't want to sound like that when I'm saying, well, maybe we're all just reincarnated as, like, maybe yoga gurus are getting reincarnated as, like, blonde white ladies who do like dancing <laughs> dancer pose on a vista in their lululemon gear you know for spiritual awareness but i don't know yeah That's we don't pretty... know we don't we know, don't know. That's... i'm not gonna claim that i have the phone line to the reincarnation reincarnation station, station. man that could be another <laughs> for this. the reincarnation station um i, I just do... know i want to come back as a dog yeah, I, I watch my dog sometimes. I just want to trade spaces. Yeah. Um, I had a thought, and then I got sort of. I just started picturing this like train station that's handing out tickets to like little white boys. Um, uh, okay, hold on. I. Where did my thought go? <laughs> I think that. There's oh I, I found my thought I like got got I found my I found my train that I was going oh, no. to in my brain. Um, uh, I think that there is like quality. This is I feel like this is like a stupid thing to say, but also just like a basic level thing. There is a difference. There's a qualitative experiential difference between sharing and stealing. 
Mm-hmm. Right? Like, mm-hmm. it seems so basic that I'm like, I can't believe that was the thought that I was like, I better get back to that thought, <laughs> that really <laughs> important thought that I had. But I think that that's where I don't think that there's anything inherently toxic about, like, cultural exchange, mm-hmm. right? And I don't think there's something inherently toxic about appreciation of what another culture has created in in terms of like art or music or a system of government that might be more just like if another (laughs) culture has done that I want to like really appreciate it and I really want to say hey will you help us over here (laughs) do this in a way that is more ethical uh so that I think is that's just a different sensibility and a different approach to what others have generated through time and space than coming in and feeling entitled to it, mm-hmm. coming in and taking it, mm-hmm. or coming in and like taking part of it and thinking you know everything. Right. Right? Like that is, I think, one of the primary like fallacies that come with like appropriation right Mm -hmm. is that you think you get this like one sample of what a culture has like generated and culminated to create right not that they're done creating but they've like created something and you get a little bit of it and then you think like cool I get this I really understand it and like that is so arrogant Mm -hmm. and um it's not humble and it's not grateful and those are words that I think get tossed around a lot in ways that I don't love Mm -hmm. but I do think they're important yeah you know um and I've been also so I've resisted for a really long time uh And it's not true. I did it for a little while, but then I stopped because I started resisting it. Uh, The idea of, like, uh, you know, having, like, a gratitude journal or a gratitude practice. Mm -hmm. Um, And I have restarted doing that um, because I learned that it's actually, like, really neurologically beneficial (laughs) to do it. So, because I'm just trying to nourish and rebuild my neurology uh, and my my well-being, I am currently in a, a, a gratitude practice. And I think that, uh, you know, in, in the way that that intersects with this conversation is, like, you kind of can't feel grateful and entitled at the same time. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know that they can occupy the same space, right? And um, the other thing that I've been thinking about in this conversation, and I don't have it uh, direct quoted, but maybe I'll, I'll paraphrase it, and then you can look on your phone and get it directly, because my phone is in the other room, uh, is the, the James Baldwin quote about... Um, why people cling to their hatred Mm. because when they let it go they're gonna have to feel pain and 
I think there's this like kind of collective like wound that is uh, I'm gonna at least say American I think it does have like a maybe a longer lineage um through through the west but I'm of this place mm-hmm. and it's particular there's a particular wound of this place um that uh is is like it's like a collective responsibility but a big part of that is on uh those of those of us who are white and those of us who descend from Europeans and those of us who have benefited from uh from that like woundedness of Mm -hmm. this place um and of this culture and I think that some of what like perpetuates like white supremacy and what perpetuates like injustice here is the like panic of people in power of like what they will have to face were we to actually try and create a just society. Mm-hmm. Um, and that sort of, I mean, I didn't, I, when I started talking, I didn't quite like mean to like link that to yoga. Because <laughs> uh, I was, I, I was super profound though. I was yeah. just like, yeah. Like I wasn't wow. trying, I wasn't like trying to get real tidy about it, but like the fact that this practice is the practice of that, like, like turning, turning your gaze on yourself. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and feeling pain, both physical yeah. and emotional and yeah. And feeling knowing, limits. Yeah, and knowing your shadow side. Like, it's not... The practice is not about, like, how happy and great you are. Like, the, the practice is about, like, look at where you're not. Like, look at where you're a grouchy asshole, which is how I've been all day. Do you realize you just linked it to the eclipse as well by talking about your shadow side? Like, <laughs> did you mean to do that? I mean, that was genius. I really Wow. How freaking crazy is that? Reagan, um, your your genius. <laughs> right. So, I mean, I guess, like, the hope, and, like, hope is such a painful feeling sometimes, but, mm. like, is that, whether it's, like, literally through yoga, like, I don't know, but is through that some form of self-reflection as individuals who are, like, members of this society, and in particular people who are in positions of power, whether like implicitly or explicitly to, to like turn that gaze on themselves and like get Mm. aware of who they are and where they've benefited or where they are like afraid, like even just to like get clear on where people are afraid. Yeah. Um, and, and what they're clinging to. Mm-hmm. Um, like, it's, I think some of what is frustrating is that it's slow, right? And that, like, yoga itself kind of says, hey, like, this is 
slow work. Mm. If you do it and it's a practice and you do it and it takes time. Like, I don't know, there's like the rare Buddhist story and like there's probably yoga stories similarly that like someone like falls off their chair in a bar and is enlightened or whatever. <laughs> but in general, like it's... Because they get into um, the bridge pose. Yes, they get into the bridge pose and then they're um, But for like, for most people and like for the love of whatever, this fucking country, like we are slow. Yeah. at this like we're just really slow yeah um and it whether it is like cosmically like aligned or just cosmically coincidental the fact that like the entire like united states experienced an eclipse yeah, like a, like a, like there were, a the path total. of totality yeah. <laughs> yes. went through, it was coast to coast, was yeah. the path of like a total eclipse of the sun. Yeah. Um, oh my God. <laughs> like, and at this moment, that is not a surprise, like it is horrific, and I am aghast at it, but it's not a surprise. To anybody I don't think who is um somewhat attuned to what like the nature of this culture is um but for this moment to be arising like this crisis to be like boiling up mm-hmm. simultaneous to this like mm-hmm. it feels like we may as well just be like okay so for real <laughs> though like, um, the moon all- blotted out the sun are you paying attention yeah. <laughs> like come yeah. on yeah yeah and this sense of like to call it like for it to get called the great american eclipse yeah right um which is like catchy and truthful right it was significant and it did cover the united states but to then sort of look at like okay so what is the united states like, right like when we say that just to like again like look at the words themselves right mm-hmm. and be like this fucker used the phrase like make america great so like yeah. coincidentally or not like that word great is there and a giant shadow like passed over <laughs> <the land. laughs> I, you know, I mean, we met, that's, that's narratively nice. <laughs> it's narratively really specific. Yeah. Um, and it's so, um, uh, in what, in when I was researching Ahimsa a bit, cause I thought rather than like going into all eight limbs and all of the yamas and niyamas and trying to like handle them all tonight, it might just be like where we start is this cool. question of. Ahimsa, especially because it's this phrase nonviolence and it coincides with warrior pose and it also coincides with this question of which violences are are vi- are all violences equivalent or not. Right. Yeah, right. Like how yeah, like yeah. fighting and fighting back. Yeah, yeah. And um so there was a, a story about a monk who had like come to a city and there was this giant serpent like terrorizing everybody and the monk sort of pulled pulled the serpent aside is how Reagan's <laughs> gonna revise the story. <laughs> the monk pulled the serpent aside and was like, hey, so Ahimsa um, is what you need to do. You need to practice nonviolence and 
the snake was like, oh, thank God, I had no idea. So the monk leaves. The monk returns several years later, and the snake is beleaguered and beat up and torn up, and the people in the village have been throwing things at it and beating it up. And the monk was like, hey, like, you are this vast and great serpent. Like, what happened? And the snake's like, well, you know, you told me not not to be violent like you advised me not to be violent and the monk said and this is the quote i wrote down uh, i did i did advise you against violence but i never told you not to hiss Hmm. and um you know i mean that one is nice because like the hissing is maybe scary enough that the snake doesn't get beat up but i think more so like that story is kind of about nonviolence is not about like a passivity and it's right. not about not protecting yourself or not protecting others and the people that you love or the mm-hmm. things that you love. And it's, it's kind of more about like taking responsibility in a certain way. Like, right. like the snake could choose to be scary and that's and different it, yeah. than terrorizing the town, right? It could just be scary enough that, like, the people leave it alone. Like, like when I'm at the rattlesnakes mm-hmm. in the desert, right? Like, I'm glad the snakes were just like, cool, I'm going to hiss at you first before I'm violent right. at you. They weren't roaming the desert looking for a human being to go and bite. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and they were protecting themselves, right? And if yeah. I had been an aggressor at them then it would be snake appropriate to bite me, right? Like, like they, you know, they, like, practice nonviolence first, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And um, I just, I, partic- I just really love that the monk was like, no, 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 buddy, <laughs> like, you can hiss. You can <laughs> yeah. Show um, them those snake fangs. <laughs> yeah, like, you can be intimidating or, like, you know, for example, like if you're being followed and you're a little bit nervous, like you can jump into warrior poses and <laughs> like, be like intimidating or weird. <laughs> just like, like, oh, you're crazy. <laughs> like, uh, and that might be enough, right? Or the whole kind of philosophy behind so many martial arts is to prevent violence mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. until that violence is necessary and then to enact that violence skillfully mm-hmm. right? um, or use it against a person like use their violence against them through you know counteracting it yeah um, yeah in particular or even, yeah or even being able to be like okay i am i'm gonna know how to subdue this person cleanly right mm-hmm. like rather than creating more chaos or distress like just to have the composure to be like I know what to do here we've reached the moment where I need to defend myself Mm -hmm. or I need to defend someone else and I'm going to do it precisely right I'm not going to make more of a mess my favorite moment in any kind of like action movie Mm -hmm. (laughs) is when like there's that battle between like the good guy and the bad guy or whatever and then you know the bad guy's almost about to kill the good person, you know, and I don't want to use like black and white extremes, but let's just say, you know, the perceived two sides against each other. And, yeah. you know, someone almost gets killed 
And then they turn around and then get the upper hand. Mm -hmm. And they have that person like pinned to the ground. They've got their whatever, gun to the head there. They can can kill it. And this other person, the one pinned down, realizes like, oh, shit, I'm going to die. But then the person pinning them down lets them go. And that's that to me is always like the like, yeah, that's the good guy, you know, like (laughs) they're overcoming it, but they're not going to like there's this understanding that happens where they're like, look, I I overpowered you and that's it. I'm not going to take it any further. And hopefully you understand that I am doing you a favor and letting you go. And hopefully this transforms your life and your outlook in how you operate yeah and yeah. and I think that um you know that's that's a good principle of nonviolence as well is that do only what is necessary and to protect you know life basically or or protect others or yourself against and and this is where it's hard for me because I don't believe that anyone is inherently evil like even and I'm not gonna like empathize or humanize with those people who were marching with tiki torches because there is there is something that is very very powerful and negative and that is hate but yeah I don't think that that hate is is just something that you're born with and that can't go away yeah it's not it's not permanent Nothing yeah. is permanent if we want to use like a Buddhist phrase, but like that, that there is no like good and evil. There is just like layers of negativity and positivity. And then the, the ideal is to approach things with positivity first. Yeah. And, you know, or if you have to act in a violent, like quote unquote violent way, whether it's you know, um, smashing something or, you know, punching somebody, (laughs) um, that the outcome is supposed is, is, or the, the motive is for greater positivity than more negativity. And I think it's just kind of like a equation type thing, (laughs) positive or negative energy. Like, I don't know. And, and, it feels, I think, for most people, most people, it feels super logical. But then there is that, like, witnessing someone so far consumed with hate, like those men and few women in Charlottesville who were there with just blinded by their hatred. Right. Like, that. that is the crisis of of how do you respond to that collectively? Because that was a collective thing of hate and not, not an individual right, stance. Right. That was generations of, you know, whatever kind of stories were told around the dinner table and lies and misconceptions or whatever and enabling by, you know, people in power. Um, so the, it has to be a collective response when it's a collective, you know, effort of hate yeah when the crisis is Mm -hmm. multiple yeah and I I like I agree with you that 
Like, I don't think that hate is, like, inherent in any of them. You know? Like, I don't... Mm-hmm. I don't think... Uh, I, I, like, similarly, like, I don't think it's, like, genetic. You know? <laughs> like, I don't think... <laughs> like, I mean, that's some sort of, like, well... No. Um, yeah, unless you want to say, well, all white people are. But, like, no, yeah. I don't want to go there because yeah. I don't believe that. And I, I haven't witnessed that in my life either. Yeah, I like, think. some of your best friends are white. Yeah, everyone. <laughs> my mom. Half of me, you know. Yeah. I don't know no. which half, but half of me is. Um, no, but I... Um, yeah, and I think some of it is this way that it is like on like I think it's collectively white people's responsibility to mm-hmm. attend to that crisis. Do you know what I mean? Like right. I don't think it's um I mean I feel conflicted about that in in this particular case cuz I am like Jewish, right? right. Um so I don't well, know you it, wouldn't be considered white by those people. Yeah, so I'm know? not. I'm not there. Even white. though your even though your skin color is, I yeah. mean, that's the paradox. Is yeah, yeah. And I mean, I do. I mean, I think they would look at me, and uh, my my nose would give me away. But <laughs> um, uh, so I don't know. In in this particular case of of white supremacy, I don't know that it's on me to right. like attend to them. In, in a way that's not just like get away from me because you are very scary um, right but, like with Nazi symbols like literally the symbols that yeah. killed your your ancestors yeah um, but in the case of like the crisis of like white supremacy and the like ignorance of white supremacy mm-hmm. um, like my feeling is that that's on like those of us who like benefit similarly and mm-hmm. who um like it's on us to attend to like the human crisis right of that like in terms of like people of color um and um you know and in particular when it comes to like a, a very specific brand of white supremacy in the united states like if you are african-american i don't feel like it's on you to like get to the solve humanity. the problem yeah, yeah or like get to like the human part of these assholes right like right because they're never gonna i know it's every time i start commenting on things on the facebook and ben's like yeah. you're not gonna change anyone's mind by commenting like that and i'm like yeah you know yeah. it's beyond that or yeah, I mean, there's like, like deeper work yeah and i mean who knows like i don't know like some of it may get changed on facebook like some of it may get changed like i had a conversation with my mom about something i'm not gonna it's so micro today, this thing, and it's too nuanced and small in a certain way, so I'm not going to use an example, but, like, my mom asked me a question about something tangentially, like, tertiarily related to uh, what happened in Charlottesville, mm-hmm. and, you know, I was really interested in the fact that she asked me, because I, I tend to perceive my parents as really, like, politically ignorant mm-hmm. and she asked and I gave my like opinions about it and my perception about it and I was like right this is this is where it's at right I mean <laughs> I don't mean like this is the real work but I mean that's that's the conversations that like white people need to be having with other white people right yeah and my mom is okay first of all my mom is Jewish so <laughs> she is not a Nazi <laughs> she is politically conservative and that is complicated in our lives. Uh, 
but um like when it comes to like I don't know like some of the the people um who participated in Charlottesville like I don't know what it would take for them to be like to be willing to like give up that hatred yeah right like obviously it's not just one conversation that someone would need to have with them right I mean maybe they just need to get knocked off their bar stool and fall into bridge pose and they'll be good and they'll be like oh my gosh yeah I'm connected with that part of myself which has no gender or race or Um, but I just I do feel like the the onus of that work whatever that is and whether it's I'm not sure when it comes to people who are identifying as Nazis. I just don't know right now where that work starts. But when it comes to like (laughs) the concentric rungs out, there are people who are not like Nazis or not self-identifying as white supremacists. But like you said, like the people who voted for Trump, even after this week, they're still like, nah, he's good. Right. Yeah. And not all of those people are Nazis. right? Right. And not all of those people are horrific beings yeah. on the planet. Yeah. They are politically ignorant. They are mm-hmm. blind to the mechanisms of their society. And I do think that those are people with whom conversations need to be had and mm. that those conversations are probably going to have to be and should we? I don't think that, like, people of color, it's, like, that's not their work. Like, that's the work mm-hmm. is not persuade the white people to be better. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's white people's job, I think, Yeah, uh, is to, uh, you know, create a convincing argument that being more decent is, like, good for everyone. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and that is, I mean, that's sort of, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm really not trying to, to, like, make everything about yoga, but... Um, well, that's our podcast, so, yeah. I mean, we have to constrain ourselves yeah. somehow. <laughs> uh, yeah, the constraints of the podcast. But that yeah. whole thing of, like, what is truthfulness? Like, what is non-stealing or not taking mm. more than mm. what's yours? Mm-hmm. Like, what mm-hmm. is, like, like non-covetousness, right? And, like, I think in particular with, with like, whatever the umbrella of, like, white culture is, there's this feeling of, lack Hmm. that then like you know and that's why so much appropriation happens Hmm. not why I mean that's a simple that's a simplification right yeah but that totally makes sense um but I think like those those precepts whether they're coming from yoga I mean we happen to be here and talking about yoga and they're right in front of me but as guideposts, right? Like, they're not bad guideposts mm-hmm. for behavior and ethics that could be more just for not just one subset of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I wonder, I mean, I, I think I just don't know what it, what it would, what the work would be to like, I don't know, like to cut through like the hatred scrim mm. of like those actual people from Charlottesville or who were in Charlottesville. I know they weren't all from there, but mm-hmm. 
I don't know. I don't. I don't know what the like actual work would be. Right. I mean, so much of this work was done in the '60s and before, you know, yeah. and that is it something that just has to keep getting done, you know? And there's just a, a byproduct of being a human being. I don't know. I don't know. Like, because that's the part where it can start to get overwhelming is that these are things that people have, we already thought we won or fought against and, and like not, not even just, you know, civil rights, but women's rights and trans rights. And well, I, you know, the LGBTQ community is, I think having a bigger stage now than what has been allowed for them in history. And so that's a good, a great thing. Um, But these movements like a feminist movement and and a civil rights movement have sort of, you know, the idea that they were constrained within a certain time and, and now we, we had victory over that. And even if we did, it's going back to that, mm-hmm. like, these just cycles of craziness. <laughs> and, and backlash. Mm, right? mm-hmm. It seems to me that, it, that some of it is there are moments or eras of, of progress towards quality mm-hmm. and justice and they're not they're not perfect moments but they are like trackable right you know they're trackable they were there they occurred and then it's almost like each time then the people who felt threatened by that shift mm-hmm. like surge back in and like attempt to kind of undo whatever work was done well, I really liked what you said before when you weren't talking about yoga, but it totally made sense in terms of yoga was that people hate or project hate and fear and, and anger and all of that because as soon as they stop doing that, they will have to feel pain and then they'll have to feel We're going to credit way. that to James Baldwin, though. Okay. I was paraphrasing it, but that of like, not <laughs> Well, yes. <laughs> right. But I loved how you said yeah. that, yeah. is that the the that pain, and, and not that I, well, and it's the root of most religions, I think, as we've talked about before, and definitely within Buddhism, um, that idea of uh, suffering yeah. and overcoming suffering. And not just for yourself, but there is a sense of that self there. And you can't really take care of other people until you've, you, you know yourself. And so going back to how I was like grappling with that idea of selfishness and thank you for, you know, enlightening me on, on another way of viewing it, because I want to take that with me because it's like, you can't be a good citizen or a caring person or a helpful person if you don't show that to yourself first and know yourself and know your pain and know your contradictions and know your your just base humanity and know yourself stripped away of things like race you know even though there is only one race (laughs) as scientists have determined just the human race um but you know ethnicity place of birth 
place of ancestors birth you know all of that you know I'm immigrating right now from Australia to America like this this sense of placement or displacement or homeland and all of that kind of stuff you know I'm not a refugee this is a choice of mine but um, you know just really understanding stripping away all of that and getting to you know what they say to concentrate on in meditation is your true self which is stripped of even bodily things you're basically just like a pinprick of light and that is a unique and beautiful and sort of traceable soul but it doesn't have the trappings of you know an external body and I think you know I that's the part of yoga that I really want to connect to and that through you know, the physical practice as well as, you know, the more spiritual side of it, but even, you know, moving through your body and learning new ways of moving and then just, um, you know, you're, you're moving through that physical plane, but in sort of gesture and reference to an unseen plane. And, um, you know, I think that that is, that is one part of the work that I can do to, you know, be a better citizen um, to myself and to others. I can't believe you're becoming a citizen right now to this country. <laughs> I know everyone's like, yeah. why? <laughs> everyone's no, like, when I'm, I'm like, oh, my, my interview's on August 31st. And everyone's like, you know, the one question they're going to ask you, they're just like, uh, why the fuck do you want to do this? <laughs> no, I'm so glad. I loved, I loved what you said just then um I didn't mean to uh deride it with (laughs) with no but it's so funny and you know like I took for granted like I've been here for 11 years now and I never even really thought about I was like I'll just keep renewing my permanent resident card because you know I'm privileged and I can do that or whatever but the two things I can't do is vote or serve on a jury and I get my jury duty calls and I really want to do yeah yeah a lot of people are like no you don't want to do that but I don't know and probably I don't really but I have this like you know romantic idea that I'm gonna like be on the crime of the century and I love true crime and all of that bullshit but um but you know to me it was a given that Mm. you know Hillary Clinton was gonna win the election it was just a given, given the people I was around, given everything. And then like a couple of days before I was like, actually, shit, like what if she doesn't? But I had no control. Like I can't vote and not necessarily that one vote would make a difference. But at the same time, like I, I could have at least felt like I had done something. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I was like. Me and Patrick Stewart, by the way, Patrick Stewart said the same thing that he decided to become a U.S. citizen because oh, Trump won. You're in <laughs> such good company. I know. I'm yeah. hoping that he just happens to be in Portland for his <laughs> naturalization ceremony. We can take notes <laughs> together, or maybe I'll tweet him and see when his naturalization yeah. ceremony is, and then we can like hold up our put, what, put our hands share, to our hearts and pictures. pledge to. That's so beautiful. <laughs> but yeah, no, it, it definitely made me think about, you know, being a yeah. actual like participant of the country that, you know, I live in and yeah. work in and have relationships in. It's like, 
this is my home now and this is my home and I made it my home and yeah I wasn't born here and I come from a really beautiful privileged country but something something I yeah. swear it's not just the men yeah you <laughs> met you boys. met some American girl I met some, <laughs> well <writing>. yes <laughs> well that's true actually I'm just I'm here for you um I love that <laughs> yeah. um I should go walk my dog yeah um if anyone wants to email us i'm curious about what people think being a warrior is or what being a warrior means to them uh where Mm -hmm. can they email us at softjawpodcast at gmail.com I don't know if you can hear my pug snoring but if there's any kind of weird noise in the background here let me see if I can move my just so we can outro on a pug snore okay she stopped breathing (laughs) oh no she's practicing corpse pose Oh, yeah. My pug is very good at corpse pose. Maybe I should just interview her. That's all she seems to do. She's very <laughs> relaxed. Yeah. Oh, my God. That was her. That if you could hear that. so cute. <laughs> she likes to saw logs oh, right next I to me as I, as I talk. So, yes. All right. Well, all right. I love well, you. I love you, too. Good night. Good night. Bye. Bye.